the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Time and eternity. You can donate by credit card at the Bible Live website, www.thebiblelive.com. Or mail your check for the Bible Live to P.O. Box 18888. That's P.O. Box 18888, San Antonio, Texas 78218. Welcome to the Bible Live Quiz Hour. It's time to test and grow your knowledge of the Bible. The entire Bible every year. On Sunday nights at 9, join us here for the Bible Live Quiz Hour. So we will ask questions from the Bible Live leads. You call in with the correct answers and you win. It's just that simple. So get out your Bible, put on your thinking cap, and hit that speed dial. Because here's the host of The Bible Live. Your Apache Indian scout through the book of books, Soapy Dollar. Glad to hear from you folks tonight as well. 340-9585. That's our phone number for the next 90 minutes. 340-9585. This is The Bible Live. And we are focusing tonight, as we did last week to a great degree, actually. We finished up the books of First and Second Kings in our Bible reading schedule. And we opened up the, the remarkable historical record given to us by Dr. Luke. He's the only Greek, he's the only non-Jewish author of uh, New, New Testament books, right, Jacob? That, yeah, I, mean, I, I think that's paragraph 47b. He says, I'm a Greek. <laughs> Is that right? No, 40, I'm, oh, I'm making that I up. know. I should know by now. But anyway, Luke, uh, Dr. Luke, a Greek physician, actually, um, the doctor of his era. I wonder if he... They didn't have Obamacare, I guess. Uh, I think he must have, as you Trump just put did. it, I think he must have been an eye, eye, ear, and nose doctor. Do you know why? Why? Because you just said in one era and out the other. <laughs> in one era or something like that? All right, here we go do it with that beginning. Uh, Book of Acts, we're going to cover, well, we can cover the entire book from the beginning if we want to, but we picked up in Acts chapter 4 uh, in our reading schedule. And then we read through chapter 16 uh, in the book of Acts. And we read from the Proverbs, uh, chapters 12 through 14. So we have some questions from the book of Proverbs. And I, I, we, we were just talking here. There's, there's several things kind of in my mind. And one was I'd love to get kind of the Jewish historical cultural perspective, even even linguistically. As Jacob has done something very rare for us and that he's he's gone back as a... Uh, as a Jewish person with command of Hebrew and many years studying and understanding the background of the Hebrew traditions and uh, Hebrew religion and language and so on. And he's giving us a, a remarkable perspective of the New Testament scriptures. Not every, I'm assuming not, not very many uh, Jewish scholars or rabbis, 
not too many. I mean, I know there are those who do, but not oh, yeah. many have studied the New Testament scriptures. Would you say you're fairly unique in that sense? or? Well, um, I don't know about unique because I don't want to congratulate myself. But, yeah. but I would like to say, tell you that I do carry a good tune, and I dress dress rather well sometimes. <laughs> uh, but there's... Um, Not the, tonight, but sometimes. Yeah, sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so that made John laugh. Uh, I know. I, right. He liked that. But at uh, any rate, so no, I, I think some, as you say, some do. In fact, one of the greatest scholars I knew, um, actually a mentor of mine, uh, he was he was Jewish, obviously, and he was very familiar. And he'd pull down the New Testament, show me for certain things, and say, "Hey, this means this." And I was a young guy at the time, so he knew that. But to agree with you, uh, generally speaking, I would say no. You're right. Not, not many. Uh, I'm sorry, I've got away from my microphone. It's tying well, a knot in well, my. Uh, Earphone cord here, but oh, uh, I thought that was your tail. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, b- but I want to get that from you tonight, if you don't mind g- helping us. Kind of, we kind of get a need to get a little better historical perspective of this particular era, the time not in one era and out the other, as you said, but this particular time in history. There were 400 years of silence between the time the book of Malachi, the last uh, of the prophets. I would say there's 400 years of silence according to Christians. Uh, 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 that, yeah, that's, that's right. Uh, I've always, I've always used to that being called the 400 years of silence. Sure. In and, the sense and, that there was my my tongue in cheek response is, well, maybe your God was silent, mine wasn't. Yeah, there you go. Well, well, that's why. Yeah, it is sometimes referred to that because there wasn't. Malachi was the last, like the. As we we think of as prophet, you know what Malachi you know. means. Malachi. Oh, Malachi. Yeah, you got it. You, you said it correctly, actually. What Malachi. does it mean? But I, I'm trying to think. I think I knew it one yeah. time. But well, I, you probably still do. You just giving me a chance to explain. Right. Look good. That means my angel. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Okay. So Mal- Malachi, uh, that's the last we think of as the last of the kind of the yes, Old sir. Testament prophets. Right. Uh, post-exile, after the time the people have come back now to Israel and so right, on, right, under right. Uh, Cyrus the Great. And you know that all the books that currently exist in what we call the Christian Old Testament are the same exact books that exist in the Jewish, quote-unquote, Tanakh or Old Testament. Same books. Y'all, y'all have others, though. Don't, well, okay, don't but recognize... what I wanted to say was, but uh-huh. the order is different. Uh-huh. See, you're talking about Malachi, uh-huh. and that is in the Christian Bible. Malachi is the last, the last one. Book. But the last books in the Jewish version of the Old Testament, though they're all the same books, the order's different, uh-huh. is the book of Chronicles. Really? That's yes. interesting to me. That's caught in what we're going to go into next. Uh-huh. After we come back from the book of Acts, we're going to go back to First and Second Chronicles. I wonder why that was. I know they're, they're it, to some degree organized by, you have, the, you have the Torah, the books of Moses, the law, and then you ha- then I think you start the books of history, what we call history. So they have all of the books that kind of relate the history, uh, uh, starting with Joshua, Judges, yeah. Ruth, I've First always Samuel. found it fascinating that they're really, you know, we saw Torah, that's uh, Chumash in uh, Hebrew, five-fifths, five, five over five is one, so uh-huh. it's one. But actually, Deuteronomy is Moses talking. The first four books is God talking. God doesn't show up again until chapter 31 of Deuteronomy. Anyway, so it's Moses talking. Now, I always thought this was fascinating. So really what we got is uh, we have those basically four books, and then we have Deuteronomy. I always found a comparison between four Gospels and the book of Acts coming up next. 
Because I found a comfortable uh, reconciliation between, okay, there's these Gospels, there's the laws, mm-hmm. and here's a copy of uh, what happens with do, uh, being recited and told about by Moses, and here it is, the book of Acts being recited, and, said, and this happened, and this happened, and remember this happened, and this happened with Paul. It, to me, I find a certain solidarity in the repetition hmm. of the telling of the story. So you kind of sense as you look, you kind of sense that same Kind of a theme, or I do. A, 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 I do, yeah. well, we've got these four hundred years though between Second Chronicles, <laughs> Chronicles. Uh, this between the, the the last of the Hebrew prophets, I guess. Would, uh, I guess that would be Malachi, um, and then the first of the, the last prophet, I guess, in the Old Testament sense, is that thought to be John the Baptist? Is uh, that's the whole he's point? He's in the of, New Testament. I, I know, but the last of the prophets in the Old Testament sense of a prophet, I'm saying, was, in other words, John the Baptist was Elias, or Elijah, Elijah. Uh, and the idea that no, he Elijah never... actually comes very early in the, in the Old Testament of Tanakh. But wasn't, wasn't it predicted that before the Messiah came, there would be a forerunner in the... That isn't, as you said, in the... And that may be the reason why Malachi appears in the Christian Bible... As the last book, because you're referring to a passage in Malachi that says, before I come, before the great and dreadful day. Yeah, boy, you did, mm-hmm. you plugged me in. I didn't even know I remembered all that. Mm-hmm. But it said, the great and dreadful day. So for some people, it's great. For some other people, not so dreadful. great. <laughs> <laughs> so I will send you the pro- uh, the prophets. So they are making reference to Elijah, uh-huh. Eliyahu. And uh, then, of course, we get John the Baptist, and there's a passage in there that certainly means to suggest that John the Baptist may have been, mm-hmm. and I don't mean to suggest... The re- fulfillment of that, that prediction. Process. Sure, sure. So okay. maybe why it's there. <clears throat> That's kind of what we, we've kind of learned, is, uh, taught, been taught, is that there, there are 400 years of uh, silence, not in the sense of God disappeared and went to Tahiti on a vacation, but that he... But there wasn't a prophet in the clear, you know, the New Testament sense. That, well, and then, and then do you want to take, take just a 30-second little detour here? And Why not? Okay. Here's what happened. For 2,000 years in the Christian Bible, what you, call, what you would refer to as the Deuterocanicals or the Apocrypha, those middle books, mm-hmm. uh-huh, they were always in the Bible for 2,000 years. The Catholics did not add them. The Protestants took them out. And they took them out in the 1880s by a decision of two different Bible societies in England. What what books are we talking about? What, what you call the Deuterocanicals or the Apocrypha? Okay, and th- would that include like Maccabees? Maccabees, Ezra was oh one. yeah, all that, all the Ezra and the books of wisdom, all that kind of stuff. Now they're fascinating to read if you just read them for history mm-hmm, purposes. Mm-hmm. But the question is, why would they decide for me anyway? Why would they decide after all that time they shouldn't be in there now? Their explanation is that, well, they're really not about God. They're more just information. Was that books. like at the Council of Trent We're talking when, when the canon was kind of... No, the, no, the, no this would be in the 1880s. Okay. Oh, much and later. So it was much later. So for about 2,000 years, those <clears throat> books were there. So I, I hear many times, you know, Protestants will say, oh, well, the Catholics added them. Well, that's not true. The Protestants took them out. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I've read a lot of speculations as to why I've heard their excuses. It, it really... Everybody has their own explanation. That's fine. The fact they were taken out is interesting. But, uh, for example, in the Deuterocanicals or the Apocrypha, there's uh, three books. 
like Bell and the Dragon and two other ones. They have their own titles now. Those are actually the three last chapters of the book of Daniel. Daniel has 15. That's what I thought. Bell yeah. and the Dragon had something to do with it. They had three, 15 chapters, not 12 in mm -hmm. Daniel. But they were taken out because uh, they see. were not. I don't know for a reason, but anyway, they were. I'll say there were, there were some additional chapters of the book of Daniel right, that yeah. were on okay. yeah. But they became <laughs> labeled their own. Now, uh, what I have noticed is this, is that uh, in the book of Acts, I think the book of Acts, from what I know, um, and I am an expert in my own opinion, mm -hmm. I think it's awfully accurate. And I, and I know from Jewish history, because the Jews keep pretty copious history, and Roman history, and though the Romans' point of view on the history and the Jews may be a little different, <laughs> sure. um, but the acts and what happens in that history are pretty pretty reliable because they both tell about the same thing. Now, when you go back, knowing those that history, when you go back down to the book of Acts, you'll actually find that what's in the book of Acts is awfully reliable, in my opinion. Very true to yeah. the oh, times yeah. in which they live. Well, it, that's kind of what I wanted, if you could tonight, to give us a little bit of that perspective uh, and I'm thinking of, uh, you know, we've those years went by and then John the Baptist appears and then this person, Jesus of Nazareth, appears and claims to be this long awaited yeah. promised Messiah. And so, I mean, and it was like it seemed to be that the t we talked about this last week. The times were just perfect and ripe for this sort of thing. And it just it took on a life of its own. And it just exploded. Across, I mean, it just. It seems like the world, in a sense, was ready and waiting for something, and this seemed to be evidently this uh, kind of like <laughs> only bigger than the Beatles, but it's kind of like some phenomenon. This yeah, it probably just nobody understands that reference, though I do understand what you're driving <laughs> yeah. at. That I mean, it just this this itinerant preacher from Israel took on a an importance and a and a, a stature in the world of that era that. That just made, I mean, it created this incredible uh, movement, uh, uh, whether it's from the Jewish perspective and the religious perspective or the sociological or political, you know, the, with Rome and all. And, and it is, um, it, it's just amazing. And sometimes I don't think we catch that. It, uh, as believers, we, we, we're attracted to the idea of a God who loves us. We understand the idea of the concept of sin and unworthiness and then the fact that God loves us and he sent his son to die, it's just so appealing and, and just on, on its own face just that we, 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 we and, and, and that it's true and that we trust in it, we go with it, but we don't get a lot of the nuances of what really happened in this, the era in which he lived. And I talked a little bit last week about how, what a special time it was with, with uh, uh, the Roman peace as Rome established a rule over a lock rule over the civilized world at that time. And there was there was a peace that was imposed on the nations as they controlled everything. And then there were Roman roads and and then there was a lingua, the, you know, the Greek language that had become uh, common to all these different cultures and people through uh, Alexander the Great and the Greek Empire before the Romans. And then comes we had the concept of the the dispersions that took place uh, back in 586 under that, but also in AD 70 when the Romans destroyed Jerusalem, th you had these these Jewish little potted plants all around the Roman Empire, these these synagogues we right. talked about last week. But um, is there anything you can add to, uh, particularly uh, the sense? Uh, now we're getting into we're getting into Paul, we're getting into 
the Roman and Jewish responses to the idea that the you know the the story of this Jewish carpenter didn't go away. Uh, it all of a sudden the next thing you know they thought they'd done away with it and all of a sudden he's risen, he's alive, he's you know, this and goes on and, and so now they're facing this whole movement uh, out, out of Jerusalem, uh, clearly. And then you've got this this young leader named Saul. You have this phenomenon called the Sanhedrin, which we've already met the Sanhedrin under Caiaphas and his son-in-law. I forgot his son-in-law's name. Ananias, yeah. Aeneas or something like that. Uh, so under the Sanhedrin takes, and then Saul gets this letter. He go in, He's putting Christians in jail, the followers of the way. And and it now, just kind of... Saul, which is Paul. Which became When he was Paul, doing yeah. that, we were talking a few minutes before... See, actually, how the Romans got into Jerusalem, it kind of was two Jewish families' fault. They were competing. They were at war, basically. Who's going to be the kings? That happens in every country, it seems. And so one of the groups, just to keep it very simple, invited the Romans in. Well, the Romans said, well, thank you very much, and they took over. (laughs) So now we have a real problem because the Romans are there, and they don't turn loose of what they own. So... Um, so that's how Rome, Rome came to get involved became, in that little piece of yes, real no. estate. Yeah, nobody can say place. that they wouldn't have come on their own, but they did. <laughs> they were invited, and they came in, they conquered, they took control. So everything that goes on is in the framework of Roman uh, conquest. So they and actually, well, I wasn't going to go there, but you'll actually find the story in the New Testament, actually in Matthew, which is both Roman history and Jewish history, of. Um, uh, Pontius Pilate, and he's he's not named, but he's talking about wh- when he killed these prophets. He actually, what he killed was the priest. It's actually, and uh, I think I could be wrong, but I think it's uh, verse uh, chapter twenty-three of Matthew. But anyway, I just want to tell you. So that's actually telling the story. So the real priests were kicked out of the temple. He appointed his own guys. And these guys, like Caiaphas, is not from the tribe of Levite. How did he get to be a priest? Well, he was appointed or bought the office. You know, they were apostates, and they, they saw a business opportunity, whatever. From the very beginning, were they called or known as the no, Sanhedrin? No, actually, uh, Pontius Pilate invited all the guys to a big banquet. You know, you're probably starting <laughs> you're recognizing the story now. A little bit, yeah. Yes, yeah, so well, Roman history records us, <laughs> and so does Jewish history. Well, this big banquet was not God inviting these guys and going out on the street and saying, hey, find anybody. The One point, of the parables that Jesus told. Well, that. it's more than a parable. It's actually well, history. Yeah. And so that's actually Pontius Pilate. He he killed a bunch of the priests because, you know, God and Jesus wouldn't go in there and kill a bunch of people. So he, And then he sent the real priests out. That's why John the Baptist is out by the Jordan River. All the other guys are out. And then he put his own guys in because they would not, the priest, the real Levite priest, they would not attend the banquet put on by Pontius Pilate. Now, Roman history records it, so does Jewish history. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so what you got, this is the make work, this is the make work, you might say, of the entire temple, the whole thing. So now what's happening is the question is fascinating, and I'm, I'm trying to keep it on the book of Acts, but what happens is how is it that Paul, Saul at that time. Saul at the time, yeah. How is it that he has somehow come acquired, acquired the rights to go after Jewish Christians? And why is he, as we're going to see in, a, in one of the chapters, I think it's chapter 8, he persecutes people, he drags them out, does all kinds of bad mm-hmm, things. Mm-hmm. And my question is, is that 
Jewish law. My question is, if the real priest were still in charge of the temple and not the hirelings, um, I'm sure you recognize that. I recognize that, yeah. So if they were not there, would they have allowed Paul to do this? Is this, is this Jewish law? And the answer is absolutely not. If I may, Islam always has the idea that a head of a family can make decisions and take out justice on his family. Jewish law is absolutely contrary to that. When the word you've seen many times in the Old Testament always says you must take somebody to the gates. That's the Hebrew way of saying you give them a trial. You can't go into another city and just say, hey, I'm leveling charges. Now, so Paul, he... Or you can't so, come with a letter from some Sanhedrin, some group oh, that says that's right. you're to arrest these people. Right. And so. In fact, I'll get, it's in <clears> chapter... Uh, just to give you an update if I want to start looking at it, this is in chapter Deuteron- uh, Deuteronomy 16, 16. 18 mm-hmm. through 20, something mm-hmm. like that. But it's, it gives you the author- or the how it's supposed to be done if you have charges. You must go, not you don't get them from the Sanhedrin, you get them from the priest, number one. But you can't just take letters. You have to go get the leaders of that village. That and have person. a trial in that village. And there must be a trial. And you must have two or three witnesses. Aha. Now, did Paul do that? The answer is clearly in chapter 7 of Acts, no. Because they said they laid the coats at his feet. That means he's the witness. Now, that's only one guy. That's what it's telling you. And what, do you know, you've heard of something called the law of witnesses? In now, there in chapter 7 of Acts, we're talking about the the martyrdom of Stephen. Stephen. And the fact that before they stoned him, they put their coats at uh, Paul's feet, uh, that he was the witness in that in that case that's what you're saying I, yes I that's uh the <coughs> they're, he's holding the coat because he's the witness but there's always supposed to be in those particular cases two or three two more or three and more. you don't get to be the witness and the judge uh-huh. uh you have to have the people so what i'm saying is what you're being told about saul or paul did you're you should be asking yourself now wait a minute he was it's clear the facts are but by the way he was not the only one but he's the, become the famous one but the question is, is that what's allowed by God? Is that God's laws? And the answer is no. So, but if you don't know. But it is consistent with those times. The the way, with the, Rome, same, the whole idea yeah, of Rome. With, and, with Rome who yeah. controlled the Sanhedrin. But you don't get letters from the Sanhedrin. They're they're just a bunch of appointed guys. I think we as as, as Gentile believers, we, we've come into this. And like I said, we're attracted to the idea. I, I think... Quite possibly, in the same sense that Gentiles of the, of the first century were attracted, they, <clears throat> the, most other ideas about about God, you know, that you have these mythological gods, uh, you know, just human beings, you know, Mount Olympus, and you know the that sort of thing, and you had kind of made up things and philosophies, uh, and so I think they were kind of spiritually starved as an era, as a time, a, a period of history, and when this credible, powerful, based in prophecy. And so this this message came on. It just, wham, it was, it was so, it it had a truth basis. It was not some made-up thing. Even if it had a truth basis, here's my question. How do you know it had a truth basis? And how do you know Paul was doing the right thing? Because if you don't know what God's laws are, then you're making a guess sure. that, that Paul or Saul's doing the right thing. The truth is, and I can show you, and I prepared it for tonight, that Saul, Paul, but if you've never been told this, if you've never understood it, if you've never read it, you'll just think that this is a bunch of Jews going after some Christians, and this is not. 
boy, it's a it's a extremely confusing. Of course, it is because at the at that time <clears throat> they weren't Christians. They they, I, well, they were they, they were, were called the way. Yeah, and they were considered kind of apostate Jews. Actually, <clears throat> a- actually, and I've said this to you privately before. Actually, technically. Uh, there is no prohibition for any Jew to think anybody may be the Messiah. There's no prohibition on that. Uh, there are people up in New York when the Snearson died in 96. They thought he was the Messiah. They're free to think that. I might think you It doesn't them. make them not a Jew no. to think no, that. No, no, The difference became is what became the teaching about Jesus, that he was God. Uh-huh. And so, and that's what the rabbis and everybody's concerned about because that is really not their concept. And then they went... It seems like it was a concern to them, too, that this went to the Gentile countries and nations. That seemed to be a big point of the book of Acts. Acts chapter 15, you have that council, you know, where they, they okay, think, what about all example. these people converting let's, these Gentiles? Uh, and, well, let's, talk, let's just talk about that. That's <clears> a great example. Let's go to Acts 15. Let's take a look there. Let's see what it actually says. What let's do. do. Okay. <laughs> okay. Acts 15. That's the great circumcision chapter, right? I, I'm going to take a guess here that uh, is John over here. John with is over there. John, something uh, that hard branch is not kicking in, so we might want to take a look at that. But go ahead and get us. Well, okay, Acts 15. Okay, let's take a look because we all know that's the great circumcision chapter, right? Yes. Where they have the trial. Yes. Okay. Well, first of all, let me ask you a question. How do you know what circumcision is? Acts 15? No, how do you know, or any Christian, <laughs> how do you know what circumcision is? I don't know, I guess. So we're arguing about something in Acts 15, and I don't want to get on a, di- a diverse <clears throat> avenue here, but let me say something. Oh, it's not supposed to kick in yet? Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> so, here, so let's say Acts 15 is the great trial of circumcision. Okay. Okay? So here's the point. Because the idea is, do do, do these Gentiles converts, converting? Do they, they have be, to be? Do they have to be circumcised? That's Gentiles. the issue. The Gentiles. Mm-hmm. Well, first, I'd like to ask you: How do you know what circumcision is? Wow! How do you know? You the Hebrew you, scriptures. You read it, and you think I understand that. But this is always what I say to people. Show me anywhere in the Bible where it tells you what circumcision is. It says what was done, but it doesn't tell you what You're it is. You're talking about Moses. No, no, the... no. I'm telling this. There is, and I've got a second question that goes with this. What part of your body do you circumcise? You're going to tell me it's the genitals, yeah, the right. penis. Mm-hmm. Well, show me any verse in the Bible that says that. No, it doesn't. That's the point. So there's something necessary about oral understanding, especially from the Jews, that makes it understandable. So everybody thinks they understand, then they start talking about what Acts 15 means. We'll come back to that right after this brief, very short break. Thank you for joining us. 340-9585. We're going to get into the book of Acts. We're establishing this background right now. We'll be right back. Don't go away. Dr. Stan Shelton with offices at Loop 410 and Broadway has taken care of the Dollar family that's Suzanne and me plus our three children for the past 25 years. Suzanne, tell the folks about our dentist. 
Well, like you say, Dr. Shelton is a dentist for a lifetime. He's got the latest technology. He's busy, but I've never had to wait. And I never dread going to the dentist. In fact, he and his staff are so personable that I actually rather enjoy it. Go to DrShelton.com or call 590-7878. And now, a word from Bob Jenkins of Bob Jenkins Pest and Lawn Services. Hi, I'm Bob Jenkins of Bob Jenkins Pest and Lawn Services. And we at Bob Jenkins say safety is our first concern. As stewards of the environment, we believe in protecting the ecosystem by defending and protecting your home from pests and keeping your lawn healthy and weed-free. Wait a minute. I'm Bob Jenkins of Bob Jenkins Pest and Lawn Services, and we take pride in our customer service and have for over 30 years. It's no wonder we at Bob Jenkins have won the Super Service Award 10 years in a row. I'm sorry, but I'm Bob Jenkins of Bob Jenkins Pest and Lawn Services. When you call me, Bob Jenkins, we'll find and fix the problem you're having. If it's rodents, insects, stinging bugs, or if you need help killing weeds and bringing your lawn back to life, Bob Jenkins is the answer. Call Bob Jenkins Pest and Lawn Services today and ask about their 20% off special on lawn fertilization and weed control. And $20 off a lawn aeration. 210-979-PEST. JenkinsPest.com. I'm Bob Jenkins, and we are making San Antonio's lawns green again, and I approve of this message. If you're new to San Antonio or haven't found a church that you can call home, check out the church directory at kslr.com. There you'll find a church near you, like Calvary Chapel San Antonio, Trinity Baptist Church, Freedom Fellowship, River City Community Church, RCCG Salvation Center, Alamo City Bible Church, His Life Fellowship, and hundreds more. Find your new home with the church directory at kslr.com. Join Barry Bass every weekday morning for the KSLR Morning Ministries, including Through the Bible, Renewing Your Mind, Truth for Life, and Focus on the Family. Weekdays from 6 to 10 on AM 630 KSLR and KSLR.com. You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Soapy and Jacob, we need to add that in there. We'll get that changed <laughs> one of these years, Jacob. Okay, but, oh, this let is me go back because I want to follow up on this Let's thing. go right to the, we're talking about uh, Acts s- chapter 15 yes. and this big council, this right. big to do about... What do we do with these right. Gentile these converts? Gentiles, do they get brought? Do they have to be circumcised? circumcised yes. And then you just asked the loaded question: How does anyone know what that is? And I guess both John and I said, "Well, we just heard." I guess that's we right, because there is no verse anywhere in the Bible that says what part of your body is it: your nose, your thumb, your ear, one of your eyelashes, perhaps. Was it Miriam? Not Miriam, but uh, 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 what's her name? Uh, Zipporah. Zipporah, the wife of uh-huh. Moses. Yeah, but it, it says they put the word in there for skin, don't they? Uh-huh. Uh, but that's not what's really there in Hebrew. Is it not? It's the word Brit. It's a covenant. Fuck, what covenant? What are we talking about? So well, how do you know it's not, that the foreskin wasn't the tip of your finger? The reason you don't know that is because, I mean, the reason you do know that. And so, but everybody, every church freely talks about it, and they're not wrong. Wouldn't but, David or somebody promise the wife of Saul's Yeah, for 400 Saul. foreskins, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, the idea was that he wasn't going to be able to get them, so he'll get killed. 
So that wasn't talking about four, 200, I think. Was well, whatever it was. 200. It that was, wasn't it, talking about 200 conversions. It was conversions. meant to be a feat that would be impossible to achieve. <laughs> 200 so conversions, I think, was the idea. So anyway, but the point <laughs> is, the reason you know that is because of oral teaching. Mm -hmm. The Jews orally explained what that's, that was. So everybody acts like they know what they're talking about. I'm not saying they're wrong. They are right. John said they're in a break. Am I wrong? He said, no. I said, no, you're not wrong. You're right. It's how but we can how do it. you know? Mm -hmm. It's because there is certain things that when any culture, in this case Jews, are writing, they're telling you what it's about. And then it becomes, you might say, law, and then everybody talks about it. Now, since we think we all know, in Acts... that? Okay, no matter. In Acts 15. I thought I was anticipating your question. What uh, pictures do we have? Uh, and I was... Uh, no, go ahead. Go well, ahead. now we know what kind of practice uh, Luke had, right? Anyway. <laughs> anyway. So Specialty. We, okay, but let me tell you. So this trial in Acts 15. Mm -hmm. So first of all, we're assuming we all understand. No, we're not wrong, but how you know is interesting because there's no verse that tells us. Give the background there first is that Jesus left. He told his disciples in yeah. Acts chapter 1, verse right. 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit right. comes upon you. Right. You'll be my witnesses right. in Jerusalem, Judea, and yes. Samaria. That is into the uttermost parts of the sure. world. And frankly, that's a little bit of an outline of the book of Acts. That's it what is. It, sure. it starts out in Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. And then the persecution becomes so hot and mm -hmm. so uh, intense right. that it forces the people to l start fleeing sure. from Jerusalem. And, and that's where... And, and that, I want to get to that because everything, <laughs> everything that Saul or Paul was doing is not biblical. Yeah, and, and at this time, Saul then starts pursuing Christians to other he cities. He does, and that's one, but if you don't know so that's not biblical law for how you do this in mm -hmm. Deuteronomy, you're thinking that the Sanhedrin who gave him authority, and the Saturn did not have that authority, and then he was around doing this stuff. Yeah. Uh, 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 but anyway, so he's not doing it, but you don't know that he's not supposed to be doing it, and what they're doing is 100% wrong if you don't know what the rules are. Yeah. And, and you've already pointed to Deuteronomy 16, where uh, it tells yes, you what, how you're supposed to do yeah. this. Uh, but the Sanhedrin did not exist even in that era, right? No, there they did this not. Kind of they are basically guys that got together. They could basically, they were given the authority of Rome to have their council of rulers. It's not an accident. Like uh, when you go and you see like Nicodemus comes to talk to Jesus, it's not an accident that he is called a ruler of the Jews. He said mm. they're putting power to rule these people. That's what the Romans did in every country they conquered, ever from Egypt and everywhere. That's how they ran the government. Well, before you get into the details of uh, Acts 15 and yeah. giving us the context of right. this very momentous, very important council that took sure. place, a, right. a decision was made there that has really impacts us even to the to times in which we live now. The, yes. it's, uh, but you were talking about the Sanhedrin and this mm. idea of Caiaphas and Aeneas that the the decision they made is better that that one man die than all the yes that does are. say Caiaphas and those people say <clears throat> what's better that one man die then we all get killed like example and I was tongue in cheek John when I was uh, during the break I was saying look here's the idea suppose some people were coming here let's call them Saudi Arabians or Russians whoever you like and they're gonna kill everybody in San Antonio but they say hey if you uh, get rid of this leader. We won't kill everybody. We get rid of John. Yeah, so what happens is we know we might consider doing that. So that's what Caiaphas is talking about. Now, that certainly it might have some biblical... So John and his family would be outvoted, evidently. In, in well, at least he would. <laughs> so here's the point. So what happens is now the letters, by the way, these letters still exist in Roman history. 
Pontius Pilate had sent for troops, Roman troops from Spain. And in one of the letters he actually wrote back to Caesar, he actually says, uh, I'm bringing my, my Spanish troops over because, you know, I'm going to destroy this place, Jerusalem, because I am, as you know, I'm Spanish and I'm hot-blooded. You know, Spanish believers know that. They know that Pontius Pilate was... I, I, I've heard them talk about that in the past. Yeah. But the, Pontius Pilate was... And I have never... It never clicked into my head and, why and, that was important. And but. when Jesus got nailed to mm-hmm. the cross, uh, um, he, uh, he, they canceled the troops. And so Caiaphas was in his position. He was trying... He's not a Levite. He should not be in charge. But what was going on, by the way, in his letters where he left the priesthood and left in charge of the temple, uh-huh. uh, it, they're reputedly his personal letters. If somebody wants to challenge it, that's fine. But if not, if they weren't written at the time, most scholars agree they were written shortly thereafter. At any rate, so what he did is he managed at that time to save the people in Jerusalem. And how it happened was that Jesus had to be given up. Now, we could talk, construct a story about how it's the, God's will and Jesus and everything. Sure, there's a background That's all to fine, it, but, but something has to cause it. On the but, human social level, that yes. was... Well, we, I think we all understand and know that it was political. Yes, and and what happened is, so Caiaphas, actually, he resigns, and that was like, like less than a month after the crucifixion of Jesus. That's right. Yes, mm-hmm. and then somebody else comes in. But the point is, and he's not a Levite, but he was an apostate. He, took, he was on the payroll, you might say. So anyway, the point is, is that they stopped the troops because they were no longer necessary. So in a very real sense, as Caiaphas himself declared, uh, I have saved the citizens of Jerusalem. So that's what the behind the scenes activity is going. Now, let's take Paul until 25 or so years later when the Romans destroyed. Actually, that would be in 70 AD. By the way, when they destroyed the temple, how many Jews were killed? Two million, a little over two yeah, million? Yeah, between two and two and a half million of Jews were killed in the streets of Jerusalem when the temple was destroyed. And the only reason any survived was... Uh, they the, got so tired of killing Yeah, the ti- Titus, I believe, was the general's name. Uh, he said, he wrote a letter to Caesar and said, Listen, can my men stop killing the Jews now? It's, and it wasn't for sympathy. They didn't care about that. It was because they're so tired, ar- they can't raise their arms anymore. So Caesar gave permission that, yes, they can leave on the condition mm. that all the Jews from in Israel are spread around the world, the diaspora. That's how, that's how it happened. And afterwards, the name of Jerusalem, after the killing of all these people, by the way, the Jews report in their history that the blood was so thick in Jerusalem, it was up to the horses' bridles. At any rate, so what happened is they changed. That's the, a biblical expression somewhere. It's the book of Revelation that, that yeah. talked a little bit about it. It could be. You know, you got to watch those horses. Mm-hmm. At any rate, um, <laughs> yeah. there's uh, four of them or five. I don't know. At any rate, so, so then they changed the name of Jerusalem under the power of Rome to Alea Capitolina, which mm-hmm. means the capital by the sea. So for a while it had a different name because all the Jews were sent around the world. Well, that's how you find Jews all around the world today. Yeah. So, and, and, of course, that had already happened 500 years before with, with the Babylonian. Uh, Babylonians. So they're already, in yeah. a sense, were Jews. And this Aquila and Priscilla that we read about right. in the book of Acts, right. they were they yeah. had fled to Corinth. Sure. And there that's where go. Paul yeah. met them. And let's face it, so, you so and this I is probably would take off, too, you know. Yeah, sure. Sorry. So Saul sets out to do this. Uh-huh. He's a, He is obviously very dedicated, very committed, very 
uh, politically connected. Right. He is a disciple of Gamaliel, uh, who is a leading. We meet Galileo. Galileo. Yeah, he is a member of the Sanhedrin. He does seem to be, and yes. he evidently has won what you call a moderate, maybe because whenever they're talking about, well, he's smart Jesus. enough to know he's dealing with <clears throat> antagonistic apostates. So he works with them. And the verses I think you're quoting about is that, hey, if it's from God, it'll succeed anyway. You can't fight God. But if it's not, it's going to fail. So don't go kill him, people. Mm-hmm. So he's very wise. Kind man. of a moderating yeah. voice on the thing. And uh, and that was uh, that was Saul's right. mentor or seems teacher, I suppose. Yes, seems to be. So, uh, and so he goes with this letter. Uh-huh. He's, he's putting... People of the way, this right. new kind of a sure. apostate group or whatever they call them. Uh, I don't know if they were still considered Jews at the time, apostate Jews, or was it already recognized let's, let's, as a totally different well, no, let's religion? Let's set the, the absolute fundamental rule. And I'm not going to say any names, so don't go panic on me. Uh, but, you know, I mm-hmm. even know that there are a couple of preachers that will come on and say, oh, well, the Jews, they hated the Romans and all that kind of stuff. And that the Jews had laws they couldn't convert Romans. Well, or anybody, and and because that comes up in Acts chapter ten. Don't worry, I'm coming back to fifteen, but we're okay. on our way there. So, in in Acts ten, he goes. Peter goes to see to Cornelius. Cornelius, right? and what he says is, he says, and this is what confuses people. I think he says, "We have a law." Well, people are saying when it says we have a law, he's referring to the Jews. He Jewish is, but law. that's not Jewish law. <laughs> it's Roman law. Because just four verses before that, it says he was going to see Cornelius because the Jews loved him. He was thought well of. They're all saying what a great sweetheart he is. They and you brought him. me a copy of that I law. Did. I brought time. the Roman law in here mm-hmm. a couple of years back, and I read it. That was Roman law. And here was the law. So this, so this is what's really going on. If a Jew converted another person to Judaism or Christianity, the Jew died. However, the other party, especially the Roman, that converted, went into poverty. He lost everything, but he did not get killed. So that's what's going on. So when Peter says, we have a law, it's an imposed Roman law. It's certainly not Jewish law. never has been. But people who only do surface reading are not very familiar with the Bible. Even if they get their employment as being a preacher, they're just wrong. So they had the idea then that a Jewish person could not... Because going to share a meal with a Gentile that's because right. of kosher that's food. That and this was, sort that, of thing. That's something. That's kosher food, sure. But what's going on, it clearly says that how Cornelius was loved by the Jews. It says it right in chapter mm-hmm. 10, just a few verses before. Mm-hmm. So, and he went, and what Peter was doing was trying to save them. He, he, it says he looked around, he saw Cornelius and his family, and he says, you know, we have a law. It says we die, and that's a Roman law. But you lose everything. So, you know, you guys want to be careful about what you're doing here. So it's very kind. By having me in your home, yeah, you yeah. be careful. Yeah. Sure, it's a very kind, considerate thing. And the Roman law was that the Jew died. Mm-hmm. And now, at another time, uh, uh, the uh, Alexander, not Alexander, but the other guy that saw the star in the sky. Yeah, that guy. Him. <laughs> yeah. By the way, before he converted... The one, yeah, who eventually converted exactly. and made uh, Christianity right. the official religion tell, of the realm. And he had Constantine. A, yeah, Constantine. He made Christianity legal. However, if a person converted to Judaism, the Jew that converted them, the person, and the person that converted both got killed. 
So he refined that law somewhat. So that's why, you know, at one time, Judaism was a, actually a competitor to Christianity as far as recruitment. But that was kibosh that was put in. By the way, you know the word kibosh is actually in the Bible in Genesis? You know, you know the word kibosh on that. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, actually, when it says subdued, you shall subdue the earth. The word there is subdue is kibosh. Kibosh the earth. That's Hebrew. Anyway, so let's go back to 15 because I want to point out something. So I, well, I really appreciate this context because I think a lot of times we don't have the historical background when we read the book, and we don't catch all the drama and all the the tension that's in this, what's happening in this book, this this tremendous transformation, upheaval. It really turns out to be kind of a, a civilization-wide or worldwide sure. upheaval. It's right. and the rest, but the rest of the countries that Rome would conquer, they set up the same type of system: government control, locals. I know that Gibbons wrote the book about the rise and fall of the Roman Empire, yes. and part of that he lists some things. But yeah. also, one of those factors was the rise of yes. Christianity. That's it was right. it contributed. A- to and the, one of the thing, and uh, the reason that the, for the harsh penalties of go, becoming a Jew or a Christian uh, for the Jews and the poverty for the Romans, or who, or even even the Greeks that had Roman citizenship. What the reason for that is this: Caesar was the king. He had declared himself a god. For you to make a declaration that Jesus or anybody else was God and king was a di- direct confrontation of challenging the king or the Caesar of Rome. So they couldn't have that. So there had to be a control of that. So that is what was going on. And I have seen a study by, uh, from a Jewish perspective that compares the ritual that was involved in, in Caesar worship in Rome with some of the ways that Jesus was honored, some of the things that happened to him, yes. some of the things, that, the clothing in purple, the crown sure. on his head. The, and man, there's a. Do you know why purple is considered royal purple or a purple color? Do you know why? Because of Lydia in chapter 21. She was a dyer of purple. She was a seller of purple, Purple, yeah. yeah. But the reason purple is, is the sky is blue, the earth is red. When you mix them together, that's actually the gate, the color of the gate between the physical and the spiritual. That's what that's about. Mm. So, anyway, but look in 50. And then, obviously, uh, what's his name? Uh, Saul becomes Paul. Mm -hmm. He's a follower of Jesus. Yeah, this... uh, Becomes one of the most, I mean, a lot of people even compared like to Jesus himself. Paul was used in such a powerful way to take this message. Well, he was. And he, by the way, he's correct in Acts 15. These other guys finally under James, who is Jesus' uh-huh. brother as I understand it, he makes the correct ruling too. And I want to read something, because this this chapter is not a decision at this trial that the Gentiles do not have to be uh, circumcised. That's not the decision. This is upholding traditional Jewish law. Yes. Gentiles were always allowed to convert, but they did not have to be circumcised. Now, I, and that's... Did they, were they expected to... Uh, uh, the di- you know the dietary laws and the, were they expected to conform to that as well as far as kosher foods and that thank sort of you thing? for asking if anybody wants to google this you know the word noah yes. in the bible huh take the word noah type on three letters at the end i d e called noahid laws what's actually recited in acts 15 is the noahid laws now so 
a person does not have to be Jewish. If a person wanted to become 100% Jewish, yeah, they probably would have to go through a little bit of a, at least an informal symbolic circumcision or something that goes on today. But to be a Christian, and we're talking about the Christian church here, they did not have to be circumcised. That's absolutely not the law. The law for non-Jews that want to obey God and God's laws is called the Noahide laws, the Noahide laws. The Noahide laws are actually recited both in this chapter and in chapter 22 of Acts. In the cha- But they come from Genesis after Noah comes out of the ark, right? right? They're, they're actually from Genesis starting in chapter 9. That is correct. Now listen to this. Just listen. This is amazing. So James, he, his judgment is that, uh, no, no, we're not going to make, that's never been the law that Gentiles had to do that. Uh, so we're not going to put that on him now. So he's upholding traditional Jewish law. He's not ruling for the first time they don't have to be. And here are the verses. Acts 15. And uh, uh, I'm going to start at verse uh, 19. Listen to this. It's right there. But if you don't know it, you don't know it. Uh, (laughs) Therefore, it is, James is talking, it is my judgment that we do not trouble those who are turning to God from among the Gentiles, but that we write to them that they are only to abstain from things contaminated by idols and fornication and from what is strangled and from blood. Now, that has always, always been the law. And this is in the New Testament. It's not in the Old Testament. This has always been the law for non-Jews. Always. Now, that's what he said right to me. Actually, technically speaking, there are seven. But let, 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 I'll go on with the verse. Then it says in verse uh, 21. Now, listen to what James says. He says, For Moses, from ancient generations, has in every city... Who preached him, since he is read in the synagogues every Sabbath, and it seemed good to the apostles and the elders, and with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, Judas, called them Barashabas, and Silas, leading men of the brethren. He so in verse twenty he actually cites what is and he says it. He says. Tell them not to do these things. That's in verse uh, 20. Mm-hmm. And then he says, For Moses from ancient generations has always basically had this law. This has always been Jewish law. So James was not granting or creating a new law. They don't have to be circumcised. He didn't talk to the Jews. The Jews still have to be circumcised. He's talking to the non-Jews. But it's what's interesting, and it's the first time I've kind of thought of this in a way, is that, it's clear that James, this council that's taking place in uh, Jerusalem, uh-huh, uh-huh. it's clear that they are talking about Gentiles yes. who come to know the true living God. They uh-huh. come to, to convert, right. to seek uh, Jehovah sure, and sure. so on. Yeah. But clearly by their language, they have not yet given in to the idea that we are totally... De- they're still speaking right. as Jews. Yes, James, they're all... Speaking here, not as Christians, and as right. they're talking about, 
as Jew as Jews. That's we, right. So all they, they don't see themselves these, yet, no, and they they didn't call themselves, they didn't consider themselves what you might call Christians. They were called Christians in uh, we're told first time somewhere. I forget what the earlier in Acts. Yes, uh-huh. uh, but here's what's really going on from the Jewish words. They're considered Noahide, which means they have certain laws. They have sure, to, they do not have to be Jewish. If you want to be Jewish, that's your choice. Uh-huh. That's your decision. But you don't have to. In other words, if you want to conform to yeah. those particular yeah, laws. That's and, all. and he actually says this. He says, uh-huh. sure. Oh, Moses of ancient times. Yeah. So it's, he's, he's upholding ancient law. Jewish law. Ju- Jewish law that the Jews didn't, uh, that the Gentiles did not have to be circumcised. Now, I'm not going to take time to look it up. But in chapter 22 of Acts, it goes on to say, we'll get to it next week. Mm-hmm. But he says, Paul, when he goes to Jerusalem, he says, listen, I'm a Jew. I get circumcised. He goes and he does some of these Jewish rituals. Yes, right, exactly. It's because his requirement as a Jew is different than the Gentile. Now, and the, and and so he must do it. The Gentile does not have to do it, and that's what this law is about. Now, that's the real context. That's the understanding since the beginning of time. Okay. So, so what you got is you got all this going on, and if people don't know that, but they get up and preach or talk about something, and they don't know what they're talking about. They, the sad thing is that some people don't read the Bible. They just go and listen to somebody talk. And the person will say things that's just really slanderous. And it's sad, and the one you should feel sad for is not the guy expounding it, but the people taking it as gospel, if you'll pardon the pun. Mm-hmm. So it's going on. This goes on and on and on. Now, let me tell you something. That's why I was so intent on doing this tonight and talking about that background, that the historical setting of all of this, the the sociological, religious, uh, even military and and political setting. If we get a little bit of better grip of that and get that background and know kind of where it came in history in terms of, you know, like we talked about the 400 years and then, then John the Baptist showing and then Messiah and this. It, it it is incredibly explosive. I mean, it it's you get more of an understanding of the tension of the of the drama that this was in terms of world history. It's just it's you know it's earth shattering. You know, it really it literally changed the Absol- world absolutely in, in this moment. And, and, and it, you know what? I want to say in all honesty, if there are circumstances, and there are, but I can point to the real ones. Where, let's say, Jews were unfair to other peoples, even Christians, then I am of a mind, let's say what it says, read what it says, but don't add or make up our own imaginary stuff. Mm-hmm. If it says it, it says it. If it doesn't say it, it doesn't say yeah. it. It's just like the thing about the reason that the Jews supposedly hated the Samaritans was because they were half-breeds. That's nowhere in the Bible. And yet, Everybody, and I must say, sadly, so every Christian I know knows that story. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just, just been not, picked up over the, over the years. True. I know I, I've kind of, I don't, I guess, yeah, I have heard it actually said out loud and so yeah. on that there was resentment, there was yeah. blah, blah, blah. It, and and I, if I get what you're saying, obviously, among the Jewish people, there may have been people oh, who absolutely. racist. I'm sure there are people so. that hated them. But that was not no. official Jewish. There's a difference between what a human being does and what God says is the right thing mm-hmm. to do. But that was not part of the no, no, Jewish it, law or no, Jewish I, As you said, I'm sure there were some that absolutely hated them for all kinds of reasons. 
But that's not God's law. That's human beings. And it wasn't a general no, practice. And any rabbi, any priest would have stopped you right there in the stop, in, in your tracks and said, no, 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 we don't do that. That's not what God said. Mm-hmm. Now, so what you got is when you got Saul doing this stuff, and he runs over here, and he's going to Damascus, and he gets these letters. And he shows up, and it says they put Stephen, uh, they laid his everybody's coats at. Uh, now, Stephen is in Jerusalem. Yes, he's and he's. Uh, considered before he goes to the he's considered the first christian martyr as mm-hmm. i understand all right so he recites the history of israel in chapter yes, seven yes. <laughs> now masterful I don't want, sermon I don't actually cause any kind of controversy about this but there is all the scholars know and if you've got your bible with you i, I do i do you know i, I figured you might I turned around in my chair guy. i was taking this stuff in that was great well here's okay. what we got in acts seven fourteen. Stephen, now I, I I can see a guy under a lot of stress. You know, he's, he knows he's in big trouble. He may get popped here. You know, so in seven fourteen he <laughs> says seventy five people. Yeah, you sound so much like a mafia mafioso there. Hey, you know, hey, you guys. Yeah. So Stephen has the idea that you know he's and he uh, says how many people? What are we talking about? Uh, uh, seven fourteen. Oh, I'm sorry. Turn a page. Seven fourteen, yeah. and it says how many people? Um, you see, Joseph sent for his father Jacob, and all his relatives to come to Egypt. Finding myself at a loss. Why is seventy-five important? I'll show you. Is this when a break? This is another break. Yeah, we uh, we're going to come back, and we'll learn why Stephen said. I'm thinking that. It seems like we heard the number 70 in the Old Testament. Exodus, brethren. Exodus chapter 1, verse 5. Okay, why does Stephen bring up the idea of 75 people? We'll come back and explain and continue our analysis here, the book of Acts, from a very, very unique uh, special perspective tonight. I think it, it, it does us all a great good of good to see this era from the historical Hebrew perspective. We'll be right back. You're listening to The Bible Live with Sophie Dollar. And we are back. And you are listening to The Bible Live with Sophie and Jacob. And we are taking a kind of a, an interesting, I think, uh, unique perspective of the book of Acts. Now, uh, I'm hoping we, we all kind of remember this book. We start out with Jesus in John chapter 1, I mean, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You will receive power. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, he'd already talked to them about the comforter is going to come. He said, it's necessary. It's important that I go away. Why? So the Father will send the comforter, the Holy Spirit. And they're told to go in Jerusalem and wait. And he says, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you'll be my witnesses. Jerusalem, look at this geographically, what you have here, concentric circles. Jerusalem in the middle. Then it'll spread Jerusalem, Judea, the region around it, Samaria, and then to the uttermost parts of the world. And that's exactly what we're going to uh, see words, now. In other words, they'll get around? They'll get around to it. 
<laughs> as they say. But that's the idea. Now, the rest of the book of Acts, we see that process. It's, they start out in Jerusalem, and they don't leave. They're, not, they're there. They're, they're teaching. They're preaching. A con, early converts, uh, to a great degree, a high percentage of degree, uh, Jewish converts, they're in Jerusalem and probably reaping from the ministries of John the Baptist and, and then from Jesus himself. Uh, the hundreds and thousands of men and women who had heard him speak and heard him teach and seen miracles and so on. So they're reaping from all of those miracles. And, and, and there's a strong movement that rises up in Jerusalem. And then in order to uh, look at verse 8, chapter 1, it says Saul was one of the witnesses. He agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. Now, we, and Jacob's going to talk to us a little bit about We'd come to that in chapter 7 where uh, the... the um, the disciples begin to lead the people there in Jerusalem. A church is building and growing. They enjoy, they enjoy favor among the people. The church is growing, people are followers of Jesus. But they're not yet defining themselves or seeing themselves as a separate group, a separate religion. They still, and that was my point in the trial of Stephen. There was never a consideration, even in the temple itself. There's a, what's called the Temple of the Gentiles. It wasn't a matter of exclusion. It was a matter of making provision and acceptance of them. So they never had the idea that these folks were different or separate. It was later uh, government administrations that pushed this. But, you know, I do want to get down because you, you really have a great note there. So when, so on 714, okay. Stephen's reciting what he uh, he's in a desperate circumstance. He's reciting mm. with absolute faith, with absolute belief. He's sincere in what he's saying. But he says 75. Uh -huh. uh, but we know in Exodus 1, 5, it's only 70. So a lot of Bible critics will come back and say, oh, look, look, New Testament's all messed up. Now, there is no doubt what the Exodus says 70. There's no doubt. Yeah, that I mentioned that to you. Didn't it say 70? In the, right, in the, yeah, yeah. You, you knew that. You knew that. So, but So <clears throat> what we have here, and I'm going to get you run with it for a second, why don't you explain why he thought there were 75? He was sincere. He was a man of faith. He believed he with all his heart. He, he was a good man. When but, was the Hebrew, when were the Hebrew scriptures translated, or was it just the Torah, translated to This uh, is what happened. The it's, Greek. The, the famous story is 70 rabbis. Septuagint. Uh, 70, uh, yeah. Septuagint, uh, 70. However, and there was a certain inducement by the Greeks Mid-300s, right, before Christ? That is correct, yes. Uh -huh. But here was the inducement. The inducement was is that if any one of you 70 come out and with a different statement of words or version, then your family gets killed. So to save their, there was an inducement, an incentive, you might say. So they all got everything correctly. Now, then as the Greek began to develop, we have this terrible situation that came over with Stephen. And he says 75. Now, that doesn't mean, that doesn't get him into heaven or leave him out, none of mm -hmm. that kind of business. But he's so sincere. This little boy is very sincere about what he's talking about. But why don't you explain, because a lot of scholars will point that out, but really there's a good explanation for it. Then I'm going to tie in with, a, I think, a real zing-bang. Okay. It says Exodus 1.5. I'm reading from the New Living Translation notes. Exodus 1.5 refers to the 70 direct descendants of Joseph, but the Dead Sea Scrolls and the ancient Greek version of, the ex of Exodus, which is the Septuagint, mm -hmm. read 75. Throughout his speech, Stephen alludes here to the Septuagint, the Greek version of the Old Testament, in use during his time. 
The additional five descendants come from the Septuagint version of Genesis 46, verse 20, which has a longer genealogy of Judas and, include, and includes or mentions four grandsons and one great-grandson for a total of five more descendants. So that's where uh-huh. the 75 and came from. Absolutely. So we know that Stephen <laughs> was being sincere with his memory and what he was taught. We know that. But what was he taught? He was being taught, obviously, from the Septuagint, which was the Greek. Why? Mm. Where's the Hebrew? Well, is there any story we're aware was, of? Was there a law against there reading Hebrew? There seems to be a law that the, the, Greeks could, the Jews could have the, the prophets, but not the Greeks. There are three death penalties. Ro- Babylon actually created them later. Roman, they started out. Romans were more linear, but they developed them. And it came out to this that you got three things would cause the death of a Jew if you circumcise your children. Two, if you uh, had a Jewish... My goodness, really? If you had a Jewish calendar. Three, if you had a copy of the Hebrew Torah, the first five books. So poor Stephen, he's reciting in the fervence of his good faith, his mm-hmm. belief. He's not lying. He's actually reciting what he believed. And that doesn't harm him because that's what he was taught. But he's been taught things by... Not the Hebrew. So he didn't have the King James in, <laughs> in that well, sense. Probably not. <laughs> the, the authority. I think, I think he had the King Caesar. Yeah. Well, I have a. I, I, I saw something or read something some years ago that captured my attention, and I read it about Stephen. And in all the pictures we have uh-huh. of Jesus after his ascension, his resurrection and ascension to heaven, every reference to him uh, in the New Testament we see then refers to him seated at the right hand of the Father, seated in the place of authority, the place of honor at the right hand of the Father. And you've mentioned that the right hand was the seat of mercy. The right hand is considered, you know, when Jesus says, don't go to the right or to the left, mm-hmm. he's saying, do God's laws. Don't add to them and make them more harsh. That'd be going to the left. Don't become more merciful and not do them by going to the right. Mm-hmm. So the right hand is the right hand of mercy of God. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So in every picture it says uh, Jesus is now... Uh, seated at the right hand of the Father, making intercession forever for for the people of God and so on. But here with Stephen, very interestingly, I, I think at least, he's being uh, stoned. Uh, the coats have been laid at the feet of Saul. It says, Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed steadily into heaven and saw the glory of God, and he saw Jesus not seated at the place of honor at God's right hand, but standing in the place of honor at God's right hand, standing, standing to receive the first you know, martyr, the first Christian uh, that you know, at least we Excellent. have recorded Excellent. here. And I, I, I remember the first time I heard that I was touched almost to tears. It just, I thought, wow, that the, the Savior would stand to receive this Stephen. And uh, I, I, I don't know why. I don't know exactly if that's the correct and interpretation so of it or is, not. But it's but important. It's very what touching. What you're saying is. So as the story clearly says that Jesus was standing, as you said, receiving him. You see, Jesus didn't seem to think it was that important that he got the number 70 or 75 wrong because he learned it from the Greek. But what he did think was important was his sincerity. There's two In Hebrew, you always remember this. You always remember this. Uh, it sounds like an Irish word. It's the word Kavanaugh, like the name Kavanaugh. Uh-huh, uh-huh. That means intent. So what your intent is, even if you get something wrong, but your intent's right, that's what counts. The right heart. My man, look, my man looks on the outside, but God looks at the heart. Yeah, that's a, ooh, that's a powerful thing there, particularly for our era, I think. We, we live in an era of um, 
we live in an era of you know just we, we just uh, somehow as believers we want to discuss and argue about the number of angels that can fit on the head of a needle and you know how correct and how exactly right and and i love that too i want to think right i want to understand right i want to see things as they are and yet uh, and, and and but on the other hand there's so many millions out there and I, i'll say it in kind of my kind of dramatic way but i don't not sure if it's overly dramatic there's so many millions out there without hope they're lost they're confused they're they're and here we are arguing about details of you know this oh you this verse and that verse and 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 I do believe in the inaccuracy and I want to be right of course, but sometimes I think well let's just let's just teach that simple clear good message that we know is right that and and then let people grow and mature without insisting this well uniform com- well, conformity cannot, to every detail. I, I certainly it? cannot debate with you what you're saying, but I can say this. No, Paul Stephen's a good guy. He was stuck with the Greek, yeah. the Greek thing sure. at seventy-five. Let's compare that to what's really going on with what people are saying, like in Acts fifteen. What's happening is, if that's what you're taught, you may get it wrong, but it's not going to crush you. It's not going to kibosh you. Mm-hmm. But, but the point is, it's still in error. So, but and so, what you're doing is that not you. But if somebody's saying, this is what this, like, Cornelius meant, mm-hmm. and they don't read it, they don't understand it, they don't know what the Roman law, what the Greek law or Jewish law was. And and they're saying, Paul's going out and doing this stuff. He's persecuting people. He took the letters. Listen to this. I'll just keep it short, but listen to what... And he was intense, and he was sincere as he well. Was he was intense. really yeah, thought he was doing the right. right, evidently. Sometimes your intenseness can be wrong. Yeah. Because listen to this. This is how you do this. It's in 1618, uh-huh. and I'm reading from the NASB, and it says, You shall appoint for yourself judges and officers in your towns, which the Lord your God is giving you, according to your tribes. Now, we're not in Acts now. We're back no, in Acts. we're back in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 1618. Okay. Uh, according to your tribes, and they shall judge the people with righteous judgment. Righteous judgment means God's laws. Mm-hmm. Now, we compare... Did, was it the did the San have have a right to give these letters to Paul? Did Paul have a right to do what he's doing? None of that is re, is correct. It, you have to do the the laws of the Torah, and so what's happening is everything that Paul's doing is incorrect. Everything the Sanhedrin did was incorrect. But if you don't know, that's not how it's supposed to be done. You will be walking around with an idea that well. The Jews were in charge of the Sanhedrin. They sent out Paul, a Jew, and he was doing all this stuff. But God said, that's not how we do this. You cannot take a law into your own hands. A guy someplace in another city cannot just issue a letter saying, go over there and get those guys. You've got to go to the judges in that city. <laughs> the head of the FBI can't just that's say. That's right, yeah. <laughs> so, he, so what's going on? So all that is happening. Now, if you don't know that, We've got to be very careful we're not putting ourselves in the same position of poor Stephen of misquoting 75 when it's really mm-hmm. 70. So it's the same lesson. Isn't yeah, that and, and, and I guess what I'm earning, learning as I grow older and older in the Lord, it, it, there's nothing fundamental that has changed about the simple, clear message of, of you know, Messiah and this and the, the God's love and the problem of sin and redemption, atonement, that sort of thing. 
But when we get down into these some of these details, I, I, I know there's one guy that I admire a lot on the radio who talks, you know, he's the Bible answer man. And I, and I like him. I know you're a little bit different about him, but I like what he says about there's certain things that maybe I, there's things we yeah. have to divide over with they're the essential, the, but there are things that aren't essential that we can differ on and we can have a different opinion and we can learn from each other and appreciate right, each other right, in spite right. of them. I kind of like that. Uh, I, I, it seems to me true because I'm not sure we're ever, ever all going to agree. Uh, we, we don't have to agree, <laughs> but we stuff. have to be careful that we're not making up stuff. True. Now, I'll tell you, yes, you're talking and about, keep, you're keep talking w- about this. Be willing to learn. The Bible yeah. answer man, Hannah Graff. Mm-hmm. Let me tell you, I did speak to him once on his show. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't talking about. I'm not surprised. No, and I'm not. I wasn't talking about Jewish stuff. I was talking about. I was defending John Hagee. Uh huh. The next day, that entire segment did not show up on the show, and it has never showed up on the show. <laughs> now, I don't know how I feel about that, but it wasn't I, good I, radio. You're boring. What can I say? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah that was a little too hot to handle. Maybe yeah. I don't know yeah, what yeah. it was, but well, uh, he was saying things that I knew not yeah, to yeah. be true. Uh huh. Because I've been present. I've heard Hagee Avazol Moss mm-hmm. say things. I hear somebody say it. I can say, look, that's not true. This is not secondhand. Yeah. I was there. You weren't there. I didn't see you. Uh, yeah, particularly as it has to do with, uh, because John has been very vocal about certain aspects of Judaism, the sure. people of Israel, their church is well known for oh, their sure. friendship and support for Israel and so on. So that it's, uh, yeah, that's but a, that's a good example here. So if, now remember then John, the mm-hmm. book of John, there's a story about the woman caught in the act of adultery. We know mm-hmm. that, right? Mm-hmm. Well, and listen, do you know what the, in Deuteronomy, there's a law called the law of false witnesses. Technically speaking, uh, what Paul saw, what he's doing is, it says you have to have two or three witnesses, you've got to do a trial. The judges make the decision, not Paul, and certainly not a group of guys in another city in uh, Jerusalem. The law of false witnesses is, and you can look this up, I believe you'll find it in, uh, it's in, um, uh, chapter 19 of Deuteronomy. It's verse 18, 19. I've now, got it. Okay, this is the law that if you do something wrong and it turns out that you're not doing it correctly or you're, you lied on somebody, they go free and you suffer the penalty they would have got. Please read 18, 19. If a malicious witness, I'm starting at 16, actually. That's right, that's right. If a malicious witness comes forward and accuses someone of a crime, then both the accuser and the accused must appear before the Lord by coming to the priests and judges, Bingo. In, office, Bingo. judges in office at yeah, that time. Yeah. The judges must investigate the case thoroughly. If the accuser yeah. has brought false charges against his fellow Israelite, you must impose on the accuser the sentence he intended for the See? other person. Now, who should have got that penalty? Who should have got it? Paul. Come on. Who? Paul. Paul. You got about? it right. Paul was doing things absolutely. The Sanhedrin was doing it. These guys are doing wrong. And look at this. In this way, you will purge such evil from among you, the evil of false accusations. And so right. what we could use a lot today. Yeah. Is this part of why we, we have a litigious, very litigious society no, and well, lawyers I, and so I, on, and people are calling for uh, something like tort, this? Tort reform. Yeah. Actually, the, tort reform, I, I will yeah. tell you this in the federal sentencing guidelines. It's exactly opposite. You you get five years, oh, four or five years off your sentence on every other person you put in prison. 
<laughs> so, it, yeah. so it's a, and that, what does that do? That encourages people to say things that's not true because they get less time. So it's exactly opposite of what the Bible says. Well, it says, then the rest of the people will hear, will hear about it and be afraid to do such an evil thing. Uh, you must show no pity, no pity for the guilty. Uh-huh. Your rule, would that be the right hand, left hand thing? Yes. Your rule should be life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. And that's not... That's not a call for you know eye for eye. That that's a call for the the punishment. Right. If 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 that's the, right. it, an accused person uh, is guilty, the punishment should match the te- crime. Uh, yeah, punishment so sublime as to fit the crime. Yeah, there's, there was not a lot of people walking around Israel with missing one eye and one hand. <laughs> yeah, but true. so it's just it's a measurement value. Yes. But so but see what you got is Paul's doing stuff he was he could not do, and the Sanhedrin was something they couldn't do. So. What, this is the, he, they're breaking God's laws. This was not God's yeah. laws. This was those guys and poor Saul. Well, the, the 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 thing about Saul, he's so intriguing. Let me let me make just one more point of context. Before, after chapter seven, when when uh, Stephen is killed, uh, the first verse in chapter eight, which the chapter verse, the chapters weren't there in the original. Uh, Luke didn't put eight. In chapter 8, this was just a continuing narrative. Right. It says that Saul was one of the witnesses. He ah. agreed completely with the ah. killing of Stephen. Yep. They laid their coats at his feet. Yep. Yep. And it says, a great wave of persecution began that yep. day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. And all the believers except the apostles were scattered through the regions of mm-hmm. Judea mm-hmm. and Samaria. Sure. Remember the verse one sure. eight: You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. So in, in this way, God's plan and God's intent was completed here uh this persecution was used as a means even though it was looked upon as a very desperate wicked evil right, sure. bad thing right. in the end it turned out to fit into and help to further uh, it wasn't the only way if they had have obeyed i suppose if they had gone ahead and moved on out i don't know if there might have been a maybe there wouldn't have been this persecution but it sent it, as i said that verse acts 1 8 becomes kind of an outline of the book of Acts. Now, there is in chapter 8 something that I'm interested in. Okay. I want to get, Philip, the one who was uh, called, he preached to the uh, Ethiopia, Ethiopian eunuch. I don't know if you remember that story after uh, uh, the resurrection, the believers, were, after the, they received the Holy Spirit, were told that story. Well, Philip, uh, the same guy, he goes to a city of Samaria, to the city of Samaria. I don't know if that's actually the city or a city. Uh, uh, I'm not, I wonder if he went to that same little city that Jesus had gone to. I was kind of interesting, interested. Crowds intensely listened intensely to Philip because they were eager to hear his message and see the miraculous signs. Many evil spirits were cast out, screaming as they left their victims, and many who had been paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. I'm wondering if that might have been that little city that Jesus was in with the woman at the well. But anyway, it says here, a man named Simon Simon had been a sorcerer there for many years, amazing the people of Samaria and claiming to be someone great. Everyone from the least to the greatest often spoke to, of him as the great one, the power of God. They listened closely to him because for a long time he had astounded them with his with his uh, illusions or magic. Now the people believed Philip's message, good news, concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ. And as a result, many men and women were baptized uh, were baptized. Then Simon himself believed and was baptized, and he began following Philip wherever he went, and he was amazed by the signs and, and miracles that Philip performed. Uh, then the apostles went, and he tried. He he Simon saw that the Spirit was given when the apostles laid their hands on the people, and so this 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 
This point of the Holy Spirit, I think, needs to be mentioned, and I hope we have time to throw it in here, because it was one of the most remarkable aspects of this era was that the change in the way, and I don't know how much you're going to look on this, um, but I'm not sure I'm going to give you time. We're going to have time to really discuss it further, but the Holy Spirit is not a new personality, is not a a new person or entity brought up in the New Testament. The Holy Spirit is mentioned in the Old Testament. The Hebrew Scriptures talk about the Holy Spirit right, uh, and yeah. so on. And so the the, the idea here is we're referring, uh, I guess we are referring uh, to this idea that the God of the Scriptures uh, is at, at the very core, is, is, is social, is relational, and that there are three distinct persons in the Godhead, and but they love each other so perfectly. They're so perfectly united in love and character and action and an intent that we know the the one true living God. Hero Israel, the Lord your God is one. So the oneness, the unity comes from. It's a relational harmony and oneness, uh, not not a numeric necessarily. But okay, I, I'm just throwing that out to give a context for this because uh, he, this holy the Holy Spirit came upon people in the Hebrew Scriptures, uh, it, it, it seemingly for a temporary service or for a particular battle or for a particular message on a or prophet. The Saul at one time, the Holy Spirit comes upon him. He prophesies and so on. And, and then the Holy Spirit left people. We saw famously Saul, the Holy Spirit departed from him. David even prayed, take not your Holy Spirit from me and so on. So this idea that the Holy Spirit was not come to permanently uh, uh, to permanently escort every believer, to permanently identify himself with every believer in, in individual, that, that commitment to walk with the individual and to, Escort us to glory, to escort the tra- to supervise and superintend the transformation process of our lives. That didn't happen in, in the Old Testament on a permanent basis. We're not see- don't see that as the as the norm. But here in the New Testament, then we see the introduction of this idea that the Holy Spirit now is going to begin to count every believer, everyone who trusts in Christ and follows the Lord, because Jesus was the firstborn of the twice well, born. Read uh, verse twenty four. Okay. Pray to the Lord for me, Simon exclaimed, that these terrible things you said won't happen to me. Uh-oh. And Peter had said some, may your money be destroyed with you for thinking that God's gift can be bought. You can have no part in this for your heart is not right with God. Repent of your wickedness and pray to the, to the Lord. Perhaps he will forgive your evil thoughts for I can see that you're full of bitter jealousy and held captive by sin. He tried to pay the apostles to, for that gift of, of, uh, so that when I lay my hands on people, they will receive the Holy Spirit. Yeah, but well, look and Peter what gives says. him this warning. He says, pray it doesn't happen to me. Was he a true prophet? Pray to the Lord for me that these terrible things you said would not happen to, to me. me. That's what I'm saying. I don't look, at, you know what law he's referring to? The law of witnesses. He's a, he's a liar. He's going to get what he said to do to others. <laughs> Pray to the Lord that these terrible things, and he said, uh, he will forgive your evil thoughts. Okay. So is that, uh, that's the kind of, he's, is Simon a Jewish person? No, he's not. He's, I don't think he is. I think he's Greek. But he understands the, the well, idea he understands of that you the other receive guys, the punishment. Uh, seem to be able to pray for him. And so they, he's saying, give me some intercessory prayer here, fellas. Uh, I'm sorry. I don't want the money. Well, the whole book Acts is is we're given that big picture, the big context, and yet there and then after that, there's all these exciting little stories about about Simon here, about Saul's conversion, and how he he 
the historic Cornelius. We'd read about Lydia, this first European convert. Sure. Remarkable book. We'll continue next week and go open up and begin the books of First and Second Chronicles. Don't go away. We'll the see Bible you next Live week. Is dedicated to helping restore the Bible to our culture and is brought to you by Crew Military Ministries. Mailing address is P.O. Box 18888. That's Box 18888. San Antonio, Texas 78218. Hear the entire Bible every year on The Bible Live, weeknights at 9.30 on this great station. Then join Soapy every Sunday evening at 9 o'clock for fun, inspiration, and valuable prizes on The, the Bible, Bible Live Quiz Show. Show. Visit our website, BibleLive.com. That's BibleLive.com for more information about Soapy and the Bible Live broadcast. You may also order materials at the website and make tax-deductible donations to help crew military minister to our military personnel and broadcast the entire Bible every year to America and the world. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.